Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. If you're a remote buyer, you're not within the state, you're going to be in a tough situation between managing your tenants remotely. If your tenants figure that out, that you're not local, and that kind of gives them a run of the place and... Who knows what could happen then? Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Paul Cyan. How you doing, Paul? Good. How are you doing, Joe? I am doing well and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Paul. He is a licensed attorney in Ohio and Michigan and a licensed real estate agent in Ohio and Kentucky. He's worked in real estate for 12 years while owning rental property. He helps buyers and sellers in Cincinnati and northern Kentucky areas buy investment and personal real estate. And he is based in Cincinnati, Ohio. So with that being said, Paul, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, definitely. Like I mentioned, I've been in real estate for 12 years. Actually, I was originally started off licensed in Michigan for about eight, nine years. And then when I moved down to Ohio for a career change, I was doing real estate part-time there in Michigan and then let my license go and then got my licenses back. I was in the Army Reserve for a while. And once I got out of that, I needed to keep myself busy. So I got my real estate licenses again. So I've got Ohio and Kentucky. I got both in the 2014 timeframe. And in around 2016, that's when I started getting back into real estate investment. We actually owned a single family ourselves that became a rental when I was called active duty with the military. So rather than selling it, it was like a brand new development with new construction. I would have sold it at a loss if I tried to sell it. We just rented it out and kind of became remote investors in that sense. When we came back about a year later, then I ended up selling it. Development was finished. And a tenant's the last tenant I had was just causing some issues and it was too far away from where we currently lived. So I sold that. And then 2016, I got a fourplex, which got at a good time. As you probably know, you're living in Cincinnati, kind of seen the prices starting to run up since then. Absolutely. Are you still a licensed attorney and are you still practicing? 
Yes, I do real estate and contract law, and then also do my real estate work as well, too, helping buyers and sellers, both investors and for people buying their personal homes. So what's a typical transaction as an attorney look like for you in terms of your involvement? If I'm doing a real estate transaction, especially I offer a lot of my clients, I don't necessarily have to step in as a real estate agent if they have a deal they're buying either like in a wholesale process or buying directly from for sale by owner. They can just come to me. We can work out a contract review fee, a document review fee. And then if they need, we can go through my law firm. I work with a local law firm here in Cincinnati. They own the title company and we can just process everything through there. So I can help save them some money. I'm not, doesn't have to be through the real estate license side, but I can work with people as an attorney as well. And I do work with a lot of wholesalers, helping them with their contracts in terms of purchasing and as well as turning around selling to others who are interested in holding the property rather than wholesaling. What are some areas of the contract that you believe add a lot of value to the contract? And it's a kind of a dumb way of phrasing the question, but basically what I'm trying to find out is what are some areas that you focus in on on real estate contracts that perhaps if an investor wasn't working with you, that wouldn't be as buttoned up. Yeah, definitely. Especially if they're not using any, even some of the state standard contract forms or some of the ones you can get online, they might be missing like appraisal terms and they're required to meet a certain appraisal, which if you're buying with borrowing money, like through a mortgage, then usually those contracts are required and your lender's not going to bless that anyways. But if it's a cash deal and they're purchasing it for 100000 and they want to make sure it's worth 100000 they can always get an appraisal if they want. But if that language is not in their contract and they get the appraisal and then the appraisal is low, without that language there, they have no escape clause from that contract. They're stuck buying it for $100,000 regardless of how much the house is worth. Inspection clause is another important thing too. Most people think, hey, yeah, home inspector and want to get our home inspected. But when it comes to the investor buyers, a lot of times, especially now with the, the way it's a seller's market, there can be an eagerness to go and even waive the inspection clause which is, in my opinion, it's a big mistake. You wave that and you suddenly find that your foundation is sinking and it's going to cost fifty to 60000 just for that to shore it up. Your whole investment strategy it could be thrown out the door there in one little misstep. Within the inspection clause, what are some things that you always include in there? Generally, we look at the time frame, the initial inspection, and then we also will address the post-inspection negotiation. And basically what the terms would be if you can't come to agreement on repairs, what are the options for the buyer and the seller? And then mainly it's the time frames that everybody kind of needs to pay attention to. You can't just leave it in there and say, hey, we'll inspect within 10 days and then leave it at that. Okay, you inspect it, then what? You found that there's a big issue with the electrical system. What's your time frame for resolving that? The seller and the buyer don't agree. It becomes he said, she said type of thing. Then that ultimately goes to resolve it. You have to go to court. But if it's something that's already spelled out in there, if it does go to court, it makes your case easier. We've got appraisal terms, so making sure that they're in there. This is when we're buying a property. Got inspection clauses, the timeframes, and both of the initial inspection of also the post-inspection. Anything else that you can think of as you think of the contract that would be good to note? Yeah, definitely. A lot of contracts should have in language in there regarding deed terms. The type of your deed you're getting, if it's a bank deed, you're generally going to get a special warranty deed because the banks don't want to guarantee. They're not able to guarantee the deed, so they'll guarantee you to the point that they can. 
if you're able to get a general warranty deed, that's the best kind that basically kind of steps in there and says, you know, hey, this deed is good. And if there is an issue later, you can go back against the seller. And if you have title insurance on the property, then the title insurance will cover you under the general warranty deed. Whereas a special warranty deed, it limits it to what kind of ownership interest they're transferring. Will you elaborate on the general warranty deed and special warranty deed and the distinction between the two and if we have a choice on which one we receive? Definitely. The special warranty deed, generally, those are going to be on foreclosed properties. And banks generally are only going to give you a special warranty deed. It's rare that they have a general warranty deed. They don't have all the information. They're kind of trying to do a, a quick sale and get rid of it as easy and quick as possible. Generally, if it's closed through a proper title company who does all the title search, they should be able to come up with the full research on the property and kind of protect you on it. Whereas when it's a normal deed, when you're going from an individual, if they're giving you anything less than a general warranty deed, like if you're getting a quick claim deed, which is almost like you can have whatever ownership interest I have in this property if I have it. <laughs> so it may be the case, you know, yeah, I'm selling you the Kroger headquarters downtown Cincinnati. I'll give you a quick claim deed. It's worth the paper that it's written on. Obviously, I don't own it. I can give you a quick claim deed. It doesn't give you any right to it either. General warranty deed is the best. Then your special warranty deed, the bank's only going to give you that. And then a quick claim deed, it's rare to find those in a transaction. But if you do, somebody wants to offer you a quick claim deed, I'd be pretty skeptical and would definitely talk with an attorney and a a title company to make sure what's going on with that. What does the bank and the special warranty deed on a foreclosed property What is the bank not agreeing to that they would be agreeing to on a general warranty deed? With that, they're basically, they have, in a sense, excluding their ability to guarantee the deed, to give you a general warranty deed that says, hey, our property is good. We bought it at a good title. Basically, they got it through, usually through like a sheriff's auction or a foreclosure process. So they are just getting the deed as is, and that's their way of selling the deed as is. So they'll guarantee it to you to that point, and you can borrow against that too. I mean, if a lender comes and you're purchasing the property and you need to borrow off of that, you can generally borrow on it, assuming the property itself meets the appraisal criteria. But it still gives you pretty much a good guarantee, but the bank is just not willing to step out there and say, yeah, we'll guarantee you against any and every claim possible. What's an example of a challenging contract that you've worked on? Challenging contract, I guess a lot of it just involves the back and forth negotiation before you even get to the contract. It's getting into the terms, especially when you're in the investment realm. I've just seen a contract that fell apart because the buyer wanted the seller to leave all the raw material left in the apartment to so he could refinish it. And the seller said no. So the buyer in that case walked for that. So they probably use something else. They probably use something in the inspection clause. But for something as simple, I'm not leaving you drywall or I'm not leaving you the, the screws and whatnot to pair the apartment. I'm walking for the deal. So it's kind of like, yeah, a lot of it is just the negotiation and getting past egos. Once the language is there, once everybody understands the language, they kind of see the purpose behind it. They're ready to go for it. It's more kind of you get those emotions at times get in the way. How long have you been working on real estate contracts with clients? I've been working on that for, I want to say, at least about 10 years. From year one to now year 10, I'm sure you've evolved your language to enhance the contracts and the value that you offer to your clients. And if that assumption is correct, what are some of the things you do now that you weren't doing before? 
And now a lot of what in the past I would use oftentimes kind of get the standard draft contracts you would get from a lot of these companies, primarily service attorneys and sell you blank legal contracts and might be state specific. So then you kind of work it towards your own. And now, especially my law firm, we kind of start from a base that our law firm designed and we design it more based on the locality, like in my case, Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, whereas those form contracts by certain companies are generally statewide. So sometimes there are city provisions. Sometimes there's something in the city, either the tax or the building department requirements that are unique that those contracts don't cover. So we have contracts that it's a multiple page document. Then we kind of go through, I go through it and based on the particular situation, knock out the language that we don't need and make sure the language that we need is in there and makes sense when it's put in there. What are some examples or an example of tax and building requirements that are unique to a city that wouldn't be in a state just templated contract? In Hamilton County, this is more actually that falls upon the owners of the property, but the, you know the requirement to register your property with the auditor, and there's no fees or costs with that. There's no requirement at the state level, but then you go to a city like I believe Cleveland, a few other northern Ohio states, they actually have rent taxes as well or unit taxes basically, and they're charging that. And so then you get prorations with with some of that if the prior sellers you're doing like it's almost like your regular taxes when you're buying and selling a property, you prorate based on how much they've already paid when their ownership ends and then how much does the buyer owe based on that. So they've got similar concepts like that, that, you know, statewide doesn't necessarily apply. Cincinnati doesn't have any rental unit taxes, but we do have registration requirements. And on the opposite end, you have those taxes, so you have to account for those. What's the most challenging part of your job? The challenging part, I guess, a lot of it too, is just making sure people are on the right page explaining not only am I working with the buyers, if I'm working with a buyer or seller, if I'm working with the other side too, they don't have their representative. It's kind of like I am representing my client. I'm in a contract with them. So they're the ones I'm representing and then kind of explaining to the other side, hey, if you don't have your own counsel, then here's the extent I can advise you. And I can't go further than that unless if I start revealing my client's privileges, privilege information and whatnot, then I run the risk of facing liability lawsuits or giving away information that I shouldn't be giving. Based on your experience as a real estate contract law attorney, what was the best way to phrase that? Real estate attorney and contract law, is that basically it? Yeah, real estate attorney slash contract attorney or acquisition attorney. Cool. All right. Based on your experience within that capacity, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors? If you're going alone, make sure you have your teams in place. Not only includes like an attorney, or if you're working with a real estate agent, but have your contractor in place, have your property manager in place. A lot of times, especially in this market, when the deals and the offers are flying left and right, you might find yourself in contract with the building that's ready to go. If you don't have a contractor there who needs to service something or you don't have property management in place, especially if you're a remote buyer, you're not within the state, you're going to be in a tough situation between managing your tenants remotely. If your tenants figure that out, that you're not local, and that kind of gives them a run of the place. And Who knows what could happen then? So definitely have your team fully in place before you start considering making your offer that within the next 20, 30 minutes, you could find it accepted because the deals are growing like crazy. What are some of the best ways to find those qualified team members? Networking is one of the best. And with my out-of-state clients too, a lot of them happens. They'll connect with me based on reading my blog or seeing some of my posts on certain websites. And they'll come back and you know say, hey, chat, we'll do an initial 
phone conversation. And then usually I, re I re recommend to any of my buyers that if you have the ability, by all means, come and visit Cincinnati. I'm happy to drive you around, show you around. You need to kind of get an understanding of where you're investing and the neighborhoods you're going to invest in because everything is varies based on which neighborhood you're in. And same type of thing if you're buying in New York, it's always good to get your boots on the ground and kind of understand with the lay of the land where everything is. What's the most popular blog post that you've done? Active blog posts that I've recently done, I've got one that gets pretty good attraction is financing your investment properties. I mentioned different ways that you can finance investment properties. After that, I get a lot of feedback. Another blog post I get from investors is my 1031 exchange blog posts. I do get a lot of both on the law side as well, too, asking for like the what they call the QSI, the qualified intermediary, who basically arranges the deals, who holds the money while you're selling one property, and then you transfer the cash to them, but then you buy the purchase the other property. So the money has to be held and they trust. It can't be just put into your bank account. So I get a lot of questions on those as well. We're going to do a lightning round. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our Best Ever partners. Best Ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Want to build wealth through real estate but tired of dealing with tenants, termites, and toilets? Check out the Note Investing Academy. They'll teach you how to invest in the mortgage instead of the property. With all the cash flow or appreciation you want, and investing as actively or passively as you'd like. Use the code FAIRLESS at noteinvestingacademy.com for $500 off enrollment. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book, Think and Grow Rich. It gives you a great mindset. It's not specific to anything, but it kind of gives you the mindset to pursue anything. Any books come to mind as it relates to real estate law or contracts that you would recommend to the best ever listeners? Not in terms of law, the, one, the ones I read are strictly aimed at attorneys and they'll put you to sleep. If you're looking for some good bedtime material, those kind of books are. But most of mine are strictly from a legal, theoretical perspective and law books that discuss local laws, local statutes and codes. What's the best ever deal that you've done? That was a recent purchase of a four-family. It was a good deal at the time, right before we had the run-ups here in the Cincinnati area and I had a reliable lender, but he had some issues with his own company and kind of had to work with the seller because it, it ended up being like rather than a 30-day close, it ended up being like an, almost like a 90 to 100-day close. But the just kept in touch with the seller and kept in touch with my lender, and we ultimately got it closed. And so been a great cash producer as of now. What's a mistake you've made in business? I also go to my rental property too. Sometimes the not fully screening the tenants, not fully vetting the tenants, I kind of use my own process, do my own research, and I've slowly come to learn that, hey, there's a lot more to look at and a lot more to look through too before you accept just to get a rent check flowing into the door. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I'm just sharing knowledge. I blog. I usually publishing once a week on my blog at my website, so I share my knowledge there. And you're know, more than happy to answer questions. Anybody's welcome to call me or email me, and 
I'll try and do my best to get you an answer. Speaking of that blog, what's the best ever way the best ever listeners can read more about what you got going on? Definitely. The blog is at Cincy NKY Real Estate. That's C-I-N-C-I N-K-Y Real Estate.com. And my contact information is on the page there. So feel free to email me, you know, call or text me. I'm happy to chat. Thank you so much for being on the show, educating us on the different types of deeds, quick claim, special warranty, and general warranty. Quick claim, you really got to stay away from those special warranty deeds and then the best, the general warranty deed, why each of those three exists. And also talking about other things from a contract standpoint we should be looking out for. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you as well, Joe. Want to build wealth through real estate but tired of dealing with tenants, termites, and toilets? Check out the Note Investing Academy. They'll teach you how to invest in the mortgage instead of the property. With all the cash flow or appreciation you want and investing as actively or passively as you'd like. Use the code FAIRLESS at noteinvestingacademy.com for $500 off enrollment.